Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? It is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain Care, where we make you the complete clinician. Coming at you today with an episode that was spurred by one of our uh, coaching clinician, uh, I guess you could say clients, I guess, but uh, one of our clinicians in our coaching program who talked about how do you get patient buy-in? How do you get patients to buy-in? And then it, the discussion turned to, you know, what some people always talk about unmotivated patients and which can be a delicate topic. When Jared and I discussed the the title of this episode, we were like, oh boy, be careful because we don't, obviously we have a lot of friends in the patient world, the patient advocacy world, and understand some of the titles that get thrown at patients that aren't always that, all that good. Uh, as far as unmotivated patients, sometimes that's a major disconnect with the clinician versus some issue with the patient. Now there can be some patient issues, don't get us wrong, they're, they're, nobody's perfect. But before we get deeper into that topic, let's see how our co-host is doing. How, how are you doing today, Jared Hall? Man, I'm doing uh, fantastic. Um, don't 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 tell anybody, but today is actually my eighth wedding anniversary, and uh, I decided to start it off by spending some time on the podcast with you and with all of our wonderful listeners. Um, but luckily, you know, it's early, and my wife is she's she's not necessarily a morning person, so we'll be all done by the time she gets up and gets ready to roll. That is a wise move, and somewhat dangerous of an opportunity this morning and I feel uh just lucky today that you're hanging out with me on such an important day in the uh, Hall household but uh congratulations to you do you guys how how many years eight years eight years today awesome very congratulations of, of marriage and, yeah two years before that so we're we're at the 10-year mark wow decade of a relationship and and going strong good deal good deal so, so let's get into the topic, man. As much as I'd love to talk about your marriage, I, your your wife's a very pleasant woman, and she cooks some amazing cookies too. By the way, if you guys ever get a chance to hang out at the Hall household, definitely don't uh, don't don't forget to reach into the cookie jar for sure. But anyway, uh, unmotivated patients. I'm not a big fan of the word personally. I know you and I talked about it uh, before we we recorded this. Um, what are your thoughts around that kind of term? And again, it, it comes off of this discussion of patient buying and and prescribing exercise. Well, what do you do with these patients that just aren't doing it? Like just aren't feeling like exercise is what they, they're, they're not complying, they're non-compliant. Um, so what, what are your thoughts around that whole unmotivated patient uh, discussion, Jared? Um, I mean, I, I have a lot of things, a, a lot of thoughts that come up and, you know, what I used to think was, oh, well, you know, these patients just don't care. They, they, they just don't want to do exercise. They don't want to move. They're just, you know, they're just here because somebody told them to come or whatever, right? This, this person, well, this is the reason that you're not getting any better. And this is the reason that you hurt. It's just because you're so unmotivated, right? Uh, but then over the years, as I worked with more people, as, you know, I learned a little bit more, as I realized, how little I actually knew, I started to recognize maybe a lot of that unmotivation or dis, dis, disengagement or whatever that I saw with patients was actually probably coming from me. And a lot of it was probably because I hadn't taken the time to communicate or connect with that patient well. Maybe I hadn't taken the time to hear their story. Maybe I hadn't taken the time to really hear what their concerns were, what their goals are. 
And maybe I was trying to like squeeze them into my hyper specific, you know, medicalized exercise box. And that just wasn't really engaging for them. That wasn't something that they were interested in at all. And that's not their problem. That's any human being doesn't want to be forced to do something that they don't enjoy or that they don't see any value in. So I I started to recognize that maybe I was a big problem in that whole, you know, quote unquote, unmotivated patient scenario and that I needed to maybe reevaluate myself in that relationship and in that interaction and see how I could go about things in a more you know, patient centered way to maybe help people understand and and join together on, you know, maybe a plan or a program that was more appropriate or or realistic or palatable to them. Yeah. You know, I think you you hit the nail on the head there as far as sometimes it's a lot more about us than it is about the patient. I think definitely in my journey as a clinician, you, there's this insecurity we all have. We're like, God, I don't want to be wrong. I want to be a good clinician. I don't want to, you know, be this person that's not getting everyone better. Um, so, you know, it's, it, we can become very like, you know, insecure to the point where anything that goes wrong, it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's the patient, you know, that can't, can't be me. I'm a, you know, clinician who's learned all these great things. And, and again, it's, there can be different times where, you know, different issues are at play, but I think oftentimes when you don't recognize when you're living in your like clinical bubble of, you know, and right now, which I think is overall a good movement, there's this push to like get people, you know, loading and, and, you know, deadlifting and different things, which again, overall, I think the, the message is a good one in a direction we should go, but that is not every patient that enters your clinic. So not my clinic. I mean, I definitely have gotten more people moving and loading in the past probably five years than I have, um, you know, in the, you know, 10 years or so after, you know, my career before that, just because of the research and different things. But you can't just assume everybody's in your world as a clinician of what your latest continued education course you took or whatever your, you know, your bias, maybe you're, you're coming from a athletic training or a um, exercise scientist or personal training background as you go into PT school and become a clinician. I mean, we're all going to have our biases, but there are biases. They're not the patient's biases. And that's where I do think we tend to try to pull people. And I, I think in what we push for our you know, folks in our coaching program is just own your biases. Just own them. Know them. Know what, you're, what you come into the clinical equation with as far as what you're bringing in as far, oh yeah, I do have a tendency to want to get people thrown around trap bars and deadlifts and, and which again, for your client in front of you might be perfect, might match them perfectly, or it might be a, a, something they're willing to try and, and nudge toward, but never make that assumption. And I think sometimes that becomes clinician centered care of like, I know that all these things that we need to load, you know, the, the latest Instagram post says I need to. So therefore that's what I'm going to push on you patient where that might not resonate with the patient. So what are the things in, in your mind, Jared, could we do better as clinicians to, to kind of tailor our exercise and our even our treatments, maybe not just exercise, but to to make it truly person-centered? Because I think sometimes we get in that clinician-centered, this is what my latest RCT says, which again is important. Evidence is important. Um, definitely that my, your clinical experience is important, but there are that patient values piece that sometimes, you know, gets less or more uh clout in the, in the equation, but what, what in your mind is ways that we can maybe better tailor? So we don't have these situations where uh, patients are maybe incorrectly being labeled unmotivated. What, what do you think we can do better in that, in that regard? Uh, I mean, two, th- two things come to my mind immediately that are like foundational from a, uh, you know, patient interview like a subjective, you know, examination or whatever you want to call it. I like to call it a patient interview. Um, and one of those is 
I feel like on average, we're really, really not good at figuring out patient expectations, like directly asking people about it. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you expect from physical therapy? What do you expect that rehab is going to look like? What do you expect your outcome is going to be? You know, just asking actual direct questions about expectations for the process so you can know where that patient truly stands. And then number two is, I don't feel like on average, we do a really good job of examining people's uh, exercise history or movement history, right? So we, we might have patients that have never done exercise, especially in a formalized way in their life. And they don't have any experience with that. They don't have uh, any desire to do that. Clearly, they've never engaged in it before. But, you know, maybe when we, we talk about movement practices, we find out that they have done dancing or they've done tennis or they've done, you know, gardening or, you know, they've done other physical activities that maybe we, from a medical perspective, wouldn't, uh, you know, determine was exercise, but it was physical activity that could be, you know, woven into a program to become more realistic and, and lifelike and that sort of thing. So that's two foundational things that I don't think that we on average do a good enough job at. And then, um, you know, I, I think after I, I, I want to hear what you have to say on that. And then, you know, there's some little maybe tips and tricks, quote unquote, tips and tricks that, that I have that uh, I found that maybe help people be a little bit more uh, engaged or adherent to a program. No, I, I think those are probably two of the main things I would agree with you. The the lack of really how do you explicitly know on the patient's expectations? What are they expecting out of you when you expecting out of treatment? What are they expecting to be the ways that they're going to navigate to back to their lives? And and some of those expectations may be like, well, I can really jump on board with that and move forward with that, or gosh, you know, they want to be massaged for uh, you know every, for an hour for two twice a week for a month. That's probably not going to be something now, again, we can refer them to some of our amazing massage therapy colleagues and say, hey, if that's part of your plan and that's where maybe that's probably going to be your better bet, those folks do it better than us. And whether I know some PTs are like, oh my God, no way, or Kairos, but massage therapists are amazing with the soft tissue work. Obviously, one will refer somebody who's a little bit more up on, up on their current pain uh, understandings. But yeah, I think understanding the expectation explicitly, like, and asking it. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about, I, I th I'm pretty confident Jared's tips and tricks are similar to what I use in the clinic, knowing what Jared does a bit, but we'll talk about those. But yeah, I think you, you got to be able to explicitly know what the patient wants out of the equation. It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, they're a customer it's, and you'd like, why would you, if in any business, would you want a customer? I don't even know what you want. So I don't even know what I'm going to, what product I'm going to provide you. Um, you can understand that that's, you're kind of like, you know, randomly hoping that things are going to line up and the, the equation is going to be good where you're gonna have a satisfied customer to me it's like now of course you, you have to balance that with like providing good evidence-based care i'm 100 percent on board with that i think we can give a little bit more on instead of being so rigid as clinicians on that front but and move towards more evidence-based person-centered ways of doing it but yeah and then when we get into like you spoke about the exercise movement history you got to have the baseline of the patient you have to know the patient's movement baseline their exercise baseline if it's not even a blip on the radar for their life of, of exercise and stuff, it can be something that's introduced and, and discussed and hey, patient, I, I understand, you know, right now we're not doing a lot of movement things and different things. 
Um, you you want to get back to X, Y, and Z. So what are your thoughts on us getting you involved in a movement program that would help you better be able to perform those things? I know exercise hasn't traditionally been what you you do, and we're not gonna, I'm going to try to structure these to, to, to your life and fit within what you do and what you have available to you at home. Because that's another thing you have to know. What do they do? You know, are they somebody who's going to the gym? Are they somebody who's going like, to, I'd rather go to the dentist and get teeth pulled than go to the gym. Um, so knowing that baseline of a patient and then trying to structure something where it's not this imposing, take them out of life, do something that's completely out of their character type exercise. A lot of times patients, you know, I get people that like to garden, that people like to, to walk their dog, then use it as a purposeful way to start gaining some exercise. Maybe you can integrate some things within those activities that they're already doing instead of making this, you know, pulling it out of some, you know, random, you know, sterile patient, not interested in it, not part of their normal existence type activity. And, and it goes into a little bit of that is just, you know, this cognition targeted exercise, um, which I'm a, we talk about a lot in our coaching program, cognition targeted everything. Like, what are your thoughts on this patient? What do you think about this? Do you feel like this might be helpful for you patient? I do that with pretty much everything I do, whether it be hands-on work, whether it be exercise, whether it be some recommendations on, you know, maybe nutrition, sleep, different things like that, that we talk about regularly in the clinic. And you get a clear, explicit understanding of where the patient's at on, on that. Like, are they with you or are they meh or like, heck no. And then you know where you can start. Maybe it's a heck no that needs like, God, it, it's not going to change unless we get you doing some things. And then if, if, if it means we have to step into some act or some motivational interviewing to start moving that needle, maybe to some change. Um, or some at least considerations and some trying some things that then you know we can become that psychologically and weaving in and out of that stuff which I think is what we we obviously speak about with our our folks but I'd, I'd like to hear I know if we've talked about your your tips and tricks I know them a bit but I often learn new ones from you from a regular basis but what are what would you tell folks that what are the tips and tricks to start really helping um, folks understand a little bit more of that uh, those expectations and, and exercise movement history well, uh, you know, kind of while you were talking, I jotted down five things, probably the main five things that came to my mind for uh, maybe helping to create motivation or helping to improve, you know, adherence to a program. And the first thing that I think is is pretty relevant for people and gets overlooked sometimes is that human beings like stories and human beings like anecdotes. So I like to talk to a patient about patients that I've had that are really similar to them. I never I never tell somebody like, hey, they were exactly like you. They were just like you. They were the same as you because I don't believe that for one. And I don't want to uh, minimize a person's experience for two. But I will tell stories about, hey, you know, Mr. Smith, I worked with Miss Jones like a couple months ago, and she was really, really similar in presentation to you. Had a lot of the same stuff going on, and this is what really worked for her, right? So, when people hear success stories and they hear anecdotes and they hear and they can like uh, you know resonate with somebody and they can see a process that worked for them, I think that that can improve motivation and that can improve buy-in. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that is one thing, right? I think that if we engender confidence in people to say, Hey, I have worked with people that are similar to you. And I know people that are similar to you that have been able to get through this. And this is kind of what they had to do. And this is the process that they went through that was really helpful for them. Like, would you be okay with trying that? Right. So that leads to the next thing is actually asking people permission, 
right? This is this, this is something that Marcos Lopez like harps on all the time, and of course, a lot of other really you know good clinicians talk about this. Is we have a tendency to tell people what they're going to do instead of asking them permission to engage in that process, right? So this is the most simple thing in the world, but it, A, it's common courtesy, B, it's re- it's respecting that this is joint and shared decision-making, and C, it's, it's a way to get people to give you the okay to do something. And when you've gotten permission to engage in an activity or exercise or to try something, then you know, that person is on board because they're like, yeah, you know, let, let's give that a try or that sounds reasonable to me. I'm willing to give permission to try that out or to do that. Right. Um, the next thing, and this, this might sound a little bit goofy to some people and it might sound a little bit, you know, simplistic, but, and maybe it's culturally driven because I live in the South. Right. But I will verbally ask people to engage in a contract with me on, on day one. I'm like, Hey, you know, Mr. Smith, we have talked about all of this sort of stuff. This is kind of what I think will really help you. This is how long I think it will take. This is what I think that the process will look like. Um, will you commit to you know working on this with me for the next six weeks? We're going to work together, and we're probably going to have to pivot a little bit, and things are going to go you know a little bit like this and a little bit like that. Will you shake hands with me and enter into like a a, a one-on-one contract? Right. So at least culturally, where I live. Um, when you give your word and you give a handshake on something like you're, you're like, Oh crap, I've got to hold up my end of the deal because I gave my word. I engaged in this social contract and we didn't just, you know, we, we made this a real thing. We, we, we bonded it with a physical act and, and a social expectation that I'm going to live up to my end of the deal. Right. And I don't like shame people if they don't, of course, but it's the actual psychological, effect of engaging into a social contract with somebody that you feel like you need to be accountable to that. And um, like I said, I would be interested to hear feedback from people in different societies, different social, you know, structures, if that is totally out, out, you know, in left field, but at least where I am, that has some, that's something that has been incredibly valuable uh, just to, just to solidify that we're, we're engaging in this together. Um, and then two more things. I don't think, so a lot of times I, I think about exercise sequencing. And if there's an exercise that I think, or a movement that I think is incredibly important or valuable for a person that I'm not willing to necessarily negotiate too much on pulling it out, I'll, I'll usually negotiate on just about anything, adding or taking away exercises or whatever. But if there's something that I think, man, this is really valuable, really important exercise for this person, but they don't seem to like it, I give, I put the power in their hands and say, hey, you know, I know that you don't love that one exercise that we do. Would you rather do it now and get it out of the way? Or do you want to do everything else and kind of save it for the end? Right. So we're going to do that activity. We're going to try that out. But I'm giving you the power to say, when do you want to do it and how do you want to do it? Do you want to get past it? Do you want to save it? Do you want to do it? You know, after you've done that exercise. So I give the patient the say in the structure of their treatment. Um, and, and I'll say, hey, what's your favorite exercise, right? What's the thing that you really enjoy doing the most when you're here? You, you want to do that now? You want to end off with that? Hey, let's do some of that stuff that you enjoy. So they get they get the uh, the power to choose the sequence of their, their program. And then finally, I ask them, 
what is something that is fun? Like, what do they like to do? Like make treatment a little bit fun. Like if they like to dance or if they like to play a game or if they like to do, you know, whatever it is, let's, let's actually bring some fun into this, not make it so medicalized. And and it's a lot easier to engage with and stay consistent and have motivation for something that you you get joy out of, or you have a little bit of fun with. So those are kind of like five things that I think about or, you know, I, I hate to say tips and tricks, but just ways of interacting with people that I think maybe help at least to some degree improve motivation and improve adherence to a program. Yeah, no, those are, are, are great tips and, and very similar to, you know, the verbal contract here in Arizona. I, you know, and, and where I'm from in the Midwest, it's not, but I, I can understand Texas. That makes a lot of sense that, that, but I, I kind of do it a bit because I hate this. I always will have that kind of, re, you know, kind of recap after this. Like, is this agreeable? Does this this is what it's going to look like? You know, does this sound like something you're willing to, to work with me on? Because I'm going to need you. We're a team. This isn't going to be I can't do this alone. I need we're going to need to be equal partners in this. And um, I like the fact of formalizing it with a handshake. Maybe I want to try it out. See, see what the Arizona culture here is like. It's a pretty diverse culture because we have a lot of different, uh, you know, folks of, of many different cultural backgrounds. So it'll be interesting to see how it kind of goes. But I too would be interested to hear what folks who are listening to the podcast, maybe in your, in your, where you work and where you live, is that something that would work for you? Or is that something that would just not go well? Cause I think different cultures that may work well or not, but that's just like George said, he's understanding the context he brings in the context he lives in and works in and trying to use that to his advantage, which I think is, is what you do when you're, um, you know, a clinician who's really trying to maximize, you know, the, your, your effectiveness with patients. The other thing I would just kind of point to, and we've kind of talked about it a bit as well, is you, the, what's the theme and the narrative of everything you're doing with the patient around exercise. I try to really just, what are the, what's their why? What are the things that really, if you can, if they, once you get them to dig down and what's the things that make you want to get less knee pain or back pain or whatever, and you just why, why, why till they really say, I want to be able to, you know, play with my kids. I feel like I'm breaking i'm only 40 something years old and i can't even be in the backyard with my kids and then the narrative from that day forward is everything you start talking about with your manual therapy with your exercise is it's pointing them to that goal you're you're reflecting that back to them so they see that everything in the clinic is pointing them towards my why to, towards what i want to get out of this thing to now you're not saying it every time they do every exercise but the sessions, you know, for me, it's like, hey, I know this is going to be getting you so your knee can tolerate to stoop down. So if we're playing in the kids in the backyard, you're going to be able to bend, squat, do the things that you mentioned that you're currently not able to do. So people can kind of see how this kind of exercise pulled out of context really can fit into the long term context that they want to, you know, function in and, and be successful. in. so, yeah, I think, um, you know, that's just another thing that if, if you can really consistently have exercises that you can, and you should as a clinician, not be just having exercises that are filling time, that they should be something that you can step back. And I tell students this, who are working with me in clinic is like, I should be able to stop you with every exercise, every manual therapy technique you do, you should be able to tie that into their goals of how it's going to move them forward. If you're just doing it for the sake of like, shoot, and we've all been there, like, I need to do something because I'm really racking my brain on what's going on here. I think Jared and I probably still get there once in a while. Um, but you know, it, you should have a, a purposeful, thoughtful approach with what you're doing and, and, and purposeful application of manual and exercise and education and those type of, um, interventions. But no, I, I, I think those are, um, some good things that hopefully you guys find some value in. And, uh, if you're having some issues with, with these type of conversations in clinic, which I know Jared and I have, 
I mean, you've heard us talking in this episode about some of our uh, clinicians who are in our coaching program. We've um, launched a coaching program and are continuing to have uh, folks enroll in it. It's an open enrollment, so we're having, and we're keeping it pretty small. So we have limited spots uh, available, but it's a, a coaching program where Jared and I get to get into your clinical world. Uh, we've recognized that you know the weekend course is just not quite cutting the mustard to get somebody, because once Monday hits and that content instructor isn't present, and you got that difficult conversation in front of you, how do you navigate that? And you, some, some clinicians, you might be able to email them and get some in feedback, but what if you had regular mentoring and coaching calls where you can get some answers and get some of those problem uh, scenarios in the clinic uh, handled? So that's what our coaching program, the Complete Clinician Supercharge is all about. If you want a, more information or if you're interested in seeing if it's a good fit for you, jump on modernpaincare.com slash supercharged and you can see um, schedule a call with Jared or I and we'll, we'll talk with you and see if it's something that you think would be a good fit for you in your practice. Not everybody can jump and do a residency and a fellowship, but if you want to learn a clinical process to start navigating these difficult conversations, navigating manual therapy in a pain science world, navigating exercise with this load it or unload it or comma dumb build it up philosophies that are out there, um, give us a call or jump on that link and we'll be able to jump on a call with you and see if it's a good fit. Anything you, else you'd like to add there, Jared, before we sign off for today? No, no, I think that'll I think that'll wrap it up to for today. I, I want to be respectful of everybody's time listening, but it, you know, I would just I would love to see some more people um, coming, you know, directly challenging themselves to 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 improve their self in practice like this. And you know, it, it's it's been really great for all of the the people that we've had in it in the program so far. And I, I expect that you know you and I are going to continue to learn and grow from it as well. Selfishly, it's been a you know one of the reasons I think just seeing what clinicians navigate in different scenarios with different thought processes. I think you can't help but learn from people as long as you come into any of those scenarios with an open mind that I don't know at all and I never will. But I think, again, it's been great just to see folks navigating their clinical processes and improving their abilities to, to kind of help some folks. So um, probably the more rewarding work I've done at Modern Pain Care so far. So excited to see it continue and excited to see more folks uh, join us on that uh, effort. But as Jared said, we're going to respect your time today. We really appreciate your thoughts. Definitely jump on uh, Facebook or Instagram. And let us know how you, what you think about some of the topics we discussed today. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss in the future, also let us know there, and we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.